Welcome to another episode of 20-Sided Stories. I'm your host, Luis Chato, with Lauren, our co-host. Hey, everybody. On this episode, uh, we are returning from Pro Tour Fate Reforged. We have with us uh, the 20-Sided team, uh, Richard, Abe, and Hugh. If you missed out on our first episode, Meet the Team, you will want to check it out on 20-Sided Radio on either iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, so for everyone here, this was uh, everyone planned. This is their first uh, first pro tour. We're really proud of them. They made day two of this event. So again, uh, the pro tour uh, is an invite uh, invite only event. Uh, and furthermore, once you're actually qualified and playing in the tournament, uh, in order to get to the second day of competition, you have to actually qualify for that. Uh, and uh, all these guys were able to do that, which is a pretty awesome accomplishment. Uh, and we're all uh, super proud of them. Yeah, Luce and I are super excited, as I am sure most of you are, to hear that firsthand um, event coverage from our from our guys here. But before we get into all that, um, we'd like to ask you all to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what the event was like. Uh, sure. Hi, I'm Hugh. Uh, uh, I would I would have to say the event was great uh, overall. Rich Abe and I all go to a lot of magic events throughout the year, uh, mostly pro tour qualifiers, um, mixed in with some grand prix and other local events like at the store or just playing with friends. Uh, this event was a really cool mix of, uh, having a very competitive feel to it, obviously as it's the pro tour, but also it was, we, we remarked multiple times on the weekend that it was really laid back, especially compared to like a grand prix. Um, it was very small, much smaller field than we're used to in terms of the number of players. There's only about, uh, I believe like around 450 players there, which is actually big for a pro tour but small for a magic tournament. Um, and so it just had a really chill kind of vibe to it um, while also staying competitive. Um, but we all agreed it was a, a very nice tournament. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Richard. And yeah, I agree with you. This is, this is something that we all said amongst ourselves the whole weekend that it was just, it was such a, I think it has something to do with the location. It was at the, um, at the Gaylord National Resort, which is really pretty. And um, Luis and Lauren were generous enough to actually let us stay at the convention center. So that, that definitely added to it. The, the convention center was beautiful. Maybe I can give you guys some pictures that you guys can put up on the website later to just yeah, see how awesome. it is. It's like you can come down from the elevator and it's all glass. And you see like small villages down there. And there's a, there's a fountain. Did you say small, small villages? Yeah. <laughs> small villages. You see, it, looks like, it looks like you're descending into like a small town. More like European town. Richard Richard wouldn't t- stop talking about two things all weekend. A how nice the convention center was and how good Tassiger is. Yeah. Both things <laughs> I both things of which I disagreed completely with. Him. Yeah, well Abe, if you have pictures or if any of you guys have pictures, we definitely will post them up on the website uh with the podcast so that people can follow along visually. Well, I don't have that many pictures, but I just have pictures of the water uh, of the, the fountain, which it was and in the, the middle the, of the village. The, the villagers. Well, we were the villagers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a village uh, bell ringer of, village of you bell guys. Ringer? <laughs> I don't know. I don't... The fountain changed colors. It so did. Oh. Richard was pretty enthralled with that. Nice. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. And that, that like being living at the convention center, that definitely helped, like made it feel like a vacation. Kind of, you know, we, we wake up, we eat breakfast, have a nice breakfast, go to, go play some magic. And there was, it was very relaxed. There was plenty of time between rounds. We had time to walk around, just like between rounds, go go get food, get drinks. Everything was there. So we had a quote unquote nice breakfast one day downstairs. And when Richard says we had a nice breakfast, he's the only one who ate the <laughs> breakfast there. Because Abe and I were both kind of sick at that point. But he ate enough for I the mean, three he, of us. Richard got like this huge plate of food one morning on, on what was it, Saturday morning? And I was like, Rich, you're not gonna eat that whole plate. And he's like, No, I definitely am used to do this in college all the time. <laughs> and I kept saying, No, you're not. And uh, I was right. <laughs> and then and then throughout the day he kept being like I think I ate too much yeah. like my brain isn't working. The biscuits did look really good though. I'll give you yeah, that. Yeah, right? it was it was like a nice southern breakfast <laughs> like I used to have. You know, I went to college in Atlanta so we used, it was it was it was a huge omelet. I think I think I over overestimated like any, how big the omelet was. Any scrapple in there? Scrapple? Scrapple. Who you you were in the south and you don't know what scrapple I don't is? Know what scrapple oh my is. god. <laughs> All right, well never mind, never but, mind. But but I did have two biscuits with lots of gravy on it. And that was I think that's a meal on its own. So, um, I'm Abe Lusk. I mean, yeah, just like the guys said already, the weekend was pretty awesome. Not only playing Magic at a really high level, but also doing with my bros. I mean, without them, it definitely would have been like, I mean, it still would have been fun, but it wouldn't have been as epic, I'd say. 
Epic. All right. It's pretty epic. Cool. Cool. Um, so, uh, so for those of you who don't know, this particular Pro Tour, uh, the format, uh, there's two different kinds of decks that you ultimately land up playing. Um, one is Modern. Uh, and uh, Modern decks consist basically about the last 12 years worth of Magic cards. You can build a 60 card deck out of that stuff. Um, though, uh, more or less, uh, most people kind of know what the best cards are um, in the format. Though there were some recent uh, changes to the format in the form of bannings. That did kind of affect things. Um, and then the other portion of the Pro Tour is uh, is draft. And uh, if you ever checked out the 20-sided sort calendar, you can see that there's tons of draft events uh, where you'll end up building uh, 40 card decks instead of 60 card decks uh, from a few booster packs. Um, and one thing that's kind of cool um, uh, about drafted, you know, uh, at uh, Grand Prix events or like the Pro Tour is that uh, you got these weird packs that you don't actually have to kind of physically open, right? They're uh, these weird little stamped packs. That, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of the same thing, but it's, you know, I don't know, you don't hear the, the crackle of the packs when you're, you know, starting starting the draft, right? Well, one, like, technical difference is actually in, in a normal booster draft, you can open a pack, there can be a foil rare and also another rare on top of that. So that's something that can never happen at any kind of events where they pre-registered pre a pool. Right, because that the fo uh, any, any foils are replaced with... A common. A common, yeah, it's like a random common, I believe, yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, well, that's, a, that's always kind of interesting to me, actually, because, um, all, you know, booster packs do have, like, a particular kind of, uh, print run, and when there's, like, premium cards like that, they replace, uh, common, though, I would assume that there is some kind of particular distribution. I don't think it probably really affects it that much in terms of, like, Rick's, like, you know, each kind of booster pack generally has some distribution, like, there's always, like, you know, a black card and a magic booster pack. Uh, so I don't know if, like, you know, by replacing, you know, with just like a random common, well, I don't know what kind of technical things go into that. It did, it did affect the way we prepared for it because our whole way, our whole ride down to uh, DC in our car, we talked about instead of comparing rares with each other, because we know every pack will have only one rare. We basically compared all the rares that would just be better than uncommons, like which uncommons will take over which rares. That kind of provided like a nice foundation, so we don't have to compare every single card against each other. We just only had to compare like the best rares. I mean, everywhere against the best uncommon, saying, like, do we take this over that? Do we take that over this? And that was pretty much our car ride down to DC. Yeah, cool. I was really happy in the first draft. I opened, like, one of the things that we had been talking about a lot. And I was like, man, thank God I don't have to think about this. Like, I'll just take whatever we decided and pass the pack. So what, and what was that, what was that decision? It was Pyrotechnics or um, that 1-1 one, one figure of Destiny guy. Warden. Okay. Warden yeah. on the first tree. Warden. warden. Yeah, so then so then what was I the, uh, the warden in the first tree? The warden over the, the pyrotechnics. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, me having not played the format too much, I would think like, oh well mythic rare, like I know figure destiny was really good. I'll probably take the I don't know, uh, the pyrotechnics, let's play it safe. You know, that's that's probably what I would, that's probably <laughs> what I would think. Yeah, Richard was the one who convinced us otherwise. I probably would have taken the pyrotechnics if we hadn't talked about it. And you feel that decision. decision How'd that first correct. draft go, Abe? Uh, yeah, I ended up 3-0 in the first draft, which was a ton of fun. I did not end up playing the Warden because I was teamer, and I really wish that I had the pyrotechnics. <laughs> but Warden's yeah. a green card. You can play it in teamer. Yeah, I yeah. could have, but I think it... You ever need a 1-1 one, one for one? Yeah, but in your um, in your fourth round, you got to play somebody very special, didn't you? Yeah, I played Luis Scott Vargas. I was kind of freaking out at that point. I was like 3-0. <laughs> like, I didn't really like my first draft deck. But it ended up being pretty good throughout it. And then I was playing Luis, and uh, I was actually felt kind of bad during that match because like it was pretty chill. Like we were talking. He was okay, still wait. Guy. First, oh. let's just preface this by, in our last episode, Abe was saying that Luis Scott Vargas is like somebody that you really wanted to meet, <laughs> that you were really excited to meet, and then you go into this event 3-0, and you're playing up against somebody who's essentially your hero. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but he's a pretty chill guy. He was definitely your hero. He's right. he's yeah. my hero. Maybe, maybe maybe that's gotten crushed now that you beat him, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm one of a lifetime, so I'm thinking I just might want to drop magic now. <laughs> never, never lost. No, but I want I want to hear this for the for those of us for the audience that doesn't know much about magic. We can all relate to this story of facing up against somebody that really you know we've we've thought about we've listened to their you know, their events online and stuff like that. And then he's sitting across from you 
Just tell us everything. What's going through your mind? What's like, happening? I was, I was what happened nervous. after you won that first game? Well, I, also, that was the first, um, like, the first round of Constructed. So, like, I was just freaking out for Modern, kind of. And, like, I was pile shuffling my deck, and I, like, accidentally, like, flipped uh, Dark Confidant. So, I was, like, I told him, like, it's yeah. ironic like, that you would flip a Dark Confidant. It, it is ironic. Yeah. And I told him, like, yeah, I flip my Dark Confidant every round just to throw off my opponent. <laughs> Then he was like, well, it makes sense because Bob flips cards. And I was like, yeah, it does. <laughs> and then uh, we started playing. And, like, I feel like I played the match pretty well. It was, just, like, two games, except at the end of the second game, like, I just completely punted. Like, I knew all the information. And he attacked with a Siege Rhino, and I just had to throw my Dark Confidant in front of it, and I win. But I just didn't. And then so I was at two life. So I just flipped a land, so whatever. <laughs> he was, he was, he was like, you knew, a little bit you, upset about it. You knew it was going to be a land on top. Well, yeah. yeah, I didn't know, but there was a land. I, I actually did see, because uh, uh, all of us back here in Brooklyn uh, were, everyone was like kind of very fervently, you know, looking at the standings, and uh, sometimes the Wizards uh, event coverage doesn't uh, post up pairings and results and stuff like that, like right away, though uh, someone on our, uh, on our Google group landed up linking to a tweet that LSV made right after he lost uh, the match to you, where... Uh, I believe, you know, he said, like, needed my opponent to literally flip uh, any non-land. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, and I win. And then it, but, uh, but I didn't, I, I think, I think you won 2-0. I won 2-0, yeah. So, it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I was ahead in a landslide in that game because he had, like, a Tassiger <laughs> out. And I had a Dark Confident from turn two, just drawing a ton of cards. Yeah. And he, like, activated Tassiger, just got back another Tassiger. And I was feeling pretty good at that point. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, no, that was the thing that, that Lauren was, uh, super excited about. And, uh, it was pretty cool when, uh, just like, you know, saying to people at the store, like, oh, whoa, Abe's 3-0. And they're like, oh, he's 4-0. He just beat LSV. Yeah. And also, uh, Hugh and Richard get, getting paired against each other in that We actually, <laughs> we all got paired against each other in this, over the course I know, of the tournament. Which is totally which is crazy. Pretty actually, uh, even for a tournament that was that small, yeah. still pretty unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we each have. 16 opponents out of 466 players and we all played each other right yeah that was that was pretty pretty bizarre uh just like looking at standings and you know looking at the results and then it's like richard tan like defeats hugh kramer or something he got lucky (laughs) 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 well so um well yeah so i mean how um how did the rest of the the tournament sort of play out from you guys you know you had a great start First day was going well. Like, did you feel the pressure coming on? Yeah, I was I was pretty nervous until I picked up that first loss. And then once I was like five one, then I feel like I started like kind of settling into it and playing better. So real quickly, uh, everyone, uh, tell uh, your results overall uh, in the tournament. And it's a uh, what a sixteen round tournament if you qualify for day two. Uh, so what were what were all of you guys' records? I finished eight and eight. I finished eight seven at one. I also finished eight seven and one. So That's everyone at either five hundred or slightly. Well, above. the thing is, is that Richard and Abe paired, I believe, in round fifteen, right? Yes. And they colluded um, to draw to ensure that they would both have a better record than me. Well, so. actually, we didn't ensure. We had to win our last round. Yeah, but kind of a win and in for over five hundred. Collusion. It's like the, it's what the pros do. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what the pros. Do. That's what the pros do. <laughs> Sam Black, Justin Cohen, right? Like round fifteen, like intentionally draw. Like, uh, yeah, I read about win, that. Yeah, right. So that was a risky move actually for them, but they're good friends, so. So they basically try to be like us. So we. So whether you're in contention round. or out of contention, <laughs> you still d- draw, even though Haven Richard actually wasn't an ID. <laughs> yeah, no, but we finished about five hundred. That's the one I'm. Well, Richard right? knew he couldn't beat me, so he started stalling. <laughs> <laughs> it was embarrassing, but I didn't want to call. The it truth this, is, so. I, I didn't draw a Tassiger in my last <laughs> oh round. My that, that, that's 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 what happened. I didn't. Then I draw it. Well, why don't you just play four if you need? A I draw? wanted to. <laughs> oh, you guys wouldn't. wouldn't yeah, Patrick Chapin played four. How did that work out for him? Well, that's Patrick <laughs> Chapin. That's he was playing in the wrong deck. <laughs> but so blue, white, red, splash, Tassiger. I'm is convinced that it's the best shell for Tassiger. The best shell. For Tell Tassiger. them what. Uh, Have you tested Pro it Tur- since? Champion Ivan Flock thought about your deck. So my second day was round. Yeah, round what? But at this point, we're still in contention for prizes. And um, I play against Ivan Flock, who won Pro Tour. He was Pro Tour champion like two, three Pro Tours ago. 
and he's known to be a, a control player, and he, I believe he plays control almost every single pro tour, every single tournament. So I sit across from him. I'm like, okay, cool. I get to play. Finally, play a blue mirror, because all day I've just been playing terrible matchups, and I thought it'd be fun. So I I draw my hand. I see six lands and path to exile, which normally this this is a terrible hand. You never keep hands like that. But I I, I figure in a control matchup, I, I know you just drop lands and you don't do anything for the whole game. So which is so that makes the hand acceptable. So I keep it. And on his first turn, he plays um he plays a token land that's the hideaway land that lets you um windbrisk heights windbrisk exactly so at that point i was just like well this game is gonna be fun <laughs> and yeah he was not playing control but after the game we talked about we talked about it and he said yeah it, it made him really sad to not play blue and but but if he had your tech he, he would have he said he was on blue white red for the longest time but he could not beat junk so he had he basically just they, their whole team switched to the deck that beats junk and i ended up playing like their team two more times Someone from their team. And against against black white tokens. Um. Well, the, one other player was on black white tokens. Another player was on actually the amulet combo. Actually, that player, Kevin Grove, I believe he was. I believe he finished eight two and constructed. And he said the two losses he had, he like completely punted. So, essentially, that guy would have been ten zero with amulet bloom. Amulet bloom. Yeah. That was that was a big surprise for me seeing that that deck uh do uh do as well uh, as it did. Not that I've played a ton of the deck, but it seems like it's pretty. It's pretty resilient, so they can like usually sandbag the amulet, and it's hard to disrupt them because they have they can still like go off pretty easily. Like sometimes they'll just draw summer bloom and make six mana and drop a titan, or like they'll just rip a pact off the top. Like I, I read Justin Cohen's article and Sam Black's article about the deck, and I think it was a really good choice for that tournament. Like I think everyone who played it did quite well with it. Um, yeah, yeah it, defi- it definitely seemed like seemed it. like a good deck. They posted stats somewhere. That deck had like seventy percent win rate yeah. or something. At the yeah, pro tour. I think it was <laughs> a very good choice for the pro tour. It was pretty rough though, seeing uh, in the you know in the finals uh, of that tournament. Uh, you know, you just you know kind of look at the deck side by side, like mm-hmm. Splinter Twin uh, in the finals versus Amulet Bloom. Like one de- one deck has uh, Blood Moons in the sideboard. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, and there's things that can tap down lands, prevent you even right. from playing. Oh, they anything. said they like, acknowledged just, in an article that Splinter Twin is yeah. one of the worst matchups because they can't interact and they can't really race it. And Blood Moon is like literally unbeatable. Right. So. But it was a good choice, right? Because yeah. you know, Splinter Twin is being Splinter held down like because there was no game. everyone was playing everyone was playing, you know, Abzan mid range, just holding on Splinter Twin. Yeah. But it was interesting to see how that, that top eight uh played out given that it seemed like a lot of people made, you know, like, you know, very kind of metagame decisions, you know, you know, mono reds in there, Splinter Twin uh, is, and then is able to kind of sneak through and, uh, and beats up. So, so I thought the top A was pretty interesting. Uh, and one thing that uh, was, I think, kind of running through a lot of people's minds when, um, see, like, Justin Cohen, and it's like, who is this guy? The guy finished second overall. And eventually, as, like, the coverage starts, you know, kind of picking up, it's like, well, who is this Justin Cohen guy? Like, oh, it's like the roommate of like Sam Black, and it's like his first ever pro tour. And a lot of people around here were like, "Man, like, what if, what if that were like one of you know one of you guys? You know, first pro tour, uh, first pro tour ever. Like, do you think there's anything that uh, you could have done differently? Maybe playing Amio Bloom or something. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think we could have tested more. If I had more free time, if I didn't have like a job and a girlfriend and other things to do, then, you know, I, I definitely would have wanted to test. I mean, they clearly 100% tested, like, way more, and they just have more established testing habits. Um, and, you know, if I if I do queue again in the future, I, I was thinking about this. I <clears throat> I really, uh, I think if I want to do well, I have to test more. I'd probably have to, like, take time off work, to be honest with you, to just really, really test. I think that's just so yeah it's it's tough i mean there's especially you know you know uh for for constructed wing there's you know like you maybe change one card in in your deck uh you know this you know from playing two this to four this and that can make a really you know big impact on how this one matchup plays out but then it affects this other one where like you're not playing as many lingering souls you're playing more lingering souls and that affects this and then it cascades through so many different things you know it does seem does seem really tough to uh to kind of go through all permutations of stuff. I mean, it's such a wide... Testing for modern is also much more difficult, I think, than testing for standard. Um, so most pro though, in the future will be Though standard. for, like, you know, uh, you know, say, you know, say this, you know, pro tour was standard, right? Because Wizards of the Coast, 
um, you know, at one point this this right. this this pro tour was going to be standard uh, at one point, you know, and then there was a lot of you know kind of public outcry like, hey, we you know we want to have like a modern pro tour, and then the, this particular event was changed um, to uh, t- to be modern. Um, and where do you what do, what do you guys think what would have what would have happened if this this pro tour weren't modern or standard or just the most recent uh, recent couple of sets? Because Fate Reforged obviously is going to have a pretty big impact on uh, on standard for that event so like how do you think you would approach that um well i would have been sadder about it because i've already like played a decent amount of modern and modern is like it was pretty established like there weren't really that many breakout decks that we just hadn't thought about so for standard it's kind of more about brewing and about like bringing these new cards in the tournament for the first time so as kind of a small team that isn't going to go through like massive permutations of brews i felt like Modern was pretty good for us. You could have this thing. You could have like brews for bros or bros for brews, right? You're saying these are all your bros. Well, I'm not 21 yet, so I think we should keep the brews to a mini. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I felt pretty good about. Like, I don't know if I could have really prepared more for this tournament. I mean, well, I would say you were the only one that showed up every single day for practice. I'm the only one without a job. I'm also the only one with no responsibilities. I I totally saw Lauren over there like smirking when he said, you know, he didn't practice enough. I mean, it's not that I, I, I I knew that. I mean, I knew that I could, I know the pros practice more than me. It's just a matter of how I could allocate my time. Um, Yeah. Well, do you guys see like sort of some of the stuff that I was kind of getting at before? So you couldn't have done more on your own, but perhaps if these two added to that i mean i i I, don't, I feel pretty happy with they prepared honestly our weekend me and hughes were a little bit was a little bit derailed from sickness like hugh you were a little bit like feeling pretty bad that beginning of that first day and that first draft where you started one two and then the first day like i did well i was like six two really excited and like i went to the gym and like it was kind of everything was fine and then the next morning i woke up and i was feeling like really sick and also i had like pulled a muscle or something last night so i couldn't like really stand up straight or sit up straight i think it's ab didn't have appendicitis <laughs> yeah and like i was like feeling sick and i had this like really sharp pain in my right like lower abdomen so like i thought i had an appendicitis <laughs> and i was like i don't know i was like pretty out of it at that point and like i was like trying to do the first draft and i was like shaking and i couldn't even like count out my cards i was just like chucking them at my neighbor <laughs> and like i ended up with like a mess of a draft deck so i feel like uh I don't know. Just if if we, I feel like if I had been feeling a little different, might have been able to salvage that draft. Must have been Thai food. Yeah, <laughs> we had compared to the drunken noodles we had so, here. Yeah. No. Well, so okay, so Hugh Kramer brought us. We were we were about to get this amazing food at it this would great have been restaurant. Mediocre also, that whole. And dude, then Hugh ripped us away. There's no such thing as place. good food in the middle of a tourist trap. That that's nothing. None of the food would. Have been I thought good. the resort. I thought it was like you know. It was expensive. Yeah. But not everything was expensive. Yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. The best real, food we had on the whole trip was going home from the tournament. Richard was like, I'm, we're not going home until I get food. I'm like, fine, whatever. And so he like takes us on these back roads. We're trying to find, like, I don't know, some kind of like fish place that he was talking about. <laughs> I don't know. It and was then like eventually, a 50 minute detour. <laughs> eventually, you find this. He like takes us to this like kind of shady part of town, but we get this like jerk chicken place. It's just jerk food in general. And it was amazing it was, yeah, was so really it was by far the, the cheapest and best food not coincidentally <laughs> of the whole trip i don't know my breakfast was pretty good <laughs> it was plentiful although i slammed like seven parfaits throughout the weekend and they were really good is this a uh, pro tour special they've got you know a little parfait vendor they uh, there was a lot of swag that there definitely was i got multiple i got abe and richard to keep getting me water bottles so i could give them yeah hugh kramer is actually yeah. a thief well, out. actually, Richard Richard, <laughs> took, Richard took one back. Or a hoarder. That he originally Probably made. both. He has like like eight. I know, I gave them all away. I don't even have one of my own anymore. Oh, yeah. he's just really generous. He's like the Robin Hood That's of right. uh, Pro Tour water, water bottles. bottles. <laughs> well, Valentine's Day was coming up, so. Yes, that's true. Swag is an important thing for Valentine's Day. Okay, well, so I've got, just to go back on the other subject just a little bit. I know we're having fun talking about food here. But so if we were to go for the next one now guys right so we said in our last interview before we started practice that uh we were all shooting for top 25 
we got about halfway into practice and realized we had a long way to go to get there, right? And then we changed the goal to day two. So trying to make a goal to top 25 for next time, what do you think we need to do? Get there. Well, yeah, but how? You Maybe. know, like, like think thinking about what we did and get. all the price we tell our audience. They don't know. They weren't here. They weren't here for it. What did we do? What, what, what did you, what happened that you guys thought really worked that really paid off for you guys that you would want to continue? What kind of stuff uh, would you want to try for next time? You know, obviously we want to build up this team and there's only three of you. We want to get it up to about eight people. What kind of people are we looking for to join this team? So, so the first, the first step, which, uh, which, uh, Rich is hinting is that, uh, they still have to, to qualify for that event. But let's just say for, for argument's sake yeah. that you're all queued for the next pro tour or, or whichever upcoming pro tour. There's, I got high hopes for you guys. I got high uh, hopes here. So let's just, let's well, just, I think one of them, someone's going to win the store PPT this weekend. Some um, uh, a a human a being, magic player will yeah. win uh, the <laughs> upcoming pro tour preliminary yeah. pro tour qualifier. And if it's rep, not yes. one of you three, that person will get added to the team. Um, I mean, my goal never changed from top twenty-five. Uh, I think one thing that we could have done, because I mean, really, like before you two got involved, our testing was like, I mean, like we were playing magic on our own because we were always playing magic, but we hadn't really gotten any gotten organized or done any serious testing. So I mean, I think. We don't really need to. It's not that great to go from the zero to sixty. Like, if for a few weeks before we weren't, we were just like, you know, just jamming modern, like in between draft rounds, or we just like had modern decks on us all the time. And whenever we were together, just start playing modern. I think that would have helped us out to just like already have kind of a feel for the format before we start. Yeah, I mean, you played modern, Richard played modern. I never really played modern before, so it was definitely a zero to sixty feeling. I agree. I I mean, I I kind of said it before, but if I if I queue for another pro tour and I want to get serious about testing. I'm just going to plan a vacation around it and just like take off from work for like a week and just play magic for like 12 hours a day. Honestly, but I think it's what I would have to do personally. I don't know. I, I don't think like, yes, it's easy to say that we have jobs and we have other like obligation girlfriends, whatever to attend to. But I think we could have scheduled it better. Like we knew way ahead of time that we were qualified for this. The format was going to be modern. I guess the only thing that we couldn't really test for was the fact that they're going to ban cards before. But I still think we probably could have scheduled ourselves better, like given us two months instead of two weeks. I agree. To like you know test this and just take it slowly, like ten hours a week. Even. I agree. I would still take time off work though because that's what all the pros do. I mean, I agree that that's a, you know they all get a house somewhere. They all take at least a week. Some of them take two weeks. I mean, next I time a house for us. The pros. That's yeah, what the pros get us do. A, get us a house. Okay. Yeah, when I'm not hounding you to be at practice, when you guys are begging me to be there, then we'll have a house. I also for think you. we need to involve <laughs> even if there's not that many people queued, we should involve more people in testing if possible. Yeah, get what? more different players in, more people playing decks, try different things. Like Abe and I were on Abzan, but you know. I never really thought about trying Gavney Township, and clearly that was one of the better cards over the weekend. We, we, we talked, we about tested it. it. Me and Louis tested. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. we definitely talked about it, but we said, yeah, right. Then there's mm-hmm. downsides you yeah. know, to the card. I mean, that's just you know, just kind of like what I was talking about earlier. You know, you 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 add in you know townships, and you know clearly you know that that affects this matchup and it improves this. Yeah. But then right then there's the downside of what this happens. Um, and yeah, I mean, Abe and I we did we did you know try some of those those things out. Maybe you know it's still, but maybe not even as you know as thoroughly as. I think you know. I think we were a little bit too timid as far as metagaming goes, because like we knew Abzan was gonna be everywhere, and yet and it was, but we didn't like really shift our decks trying to be good in an Abzan mirror, and um, I don't know I I feel like if if we had kind of been like more bold like Jake like like what Jacob Wilson did he was just like made such a great kind of like anti aggro I mean anti Abzan Abzan deck I mean I I think we we maybe could have been a little bit more bold. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of thing uh, happens um, happen happens quite a bit, especially with kind of newer newer formats. You look at um, you know people who take like you know big risks and sometimes get you know wharf like you know Jake Wilson. Uh, you know the the flip side of the coin. You know based on the results, right? Like Patrick Chapin, you know didn't do as well <laughs> as Rue, but but according to even like his report, like he he felt that the deck was still like pretty good. So maybe there's something there. Um, but you know. You never know. So I actually have some inside scoop on the Jacob Wilson's deck choice. The whole time for two weeks leading up to the pro tour, he was on blue eye red. The night before, at like eight eight p.m., he decided, can't do it. He he bought a deck. He like ordered a list of the the cards and he picked out the next day at the vendor. He's slaving it up, the day of the tournament, that junk list. So so my understanding, you guys all know uh, all know Evan possibly Evan Husney. Mm-hmm. 
so he's a guy who uh, plays at the store, uh, and I believe uh, now he works for uh, for Vice, Vice Magazine uh, here in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, and uh, Evan uh, is kind of leading a little, uh, was leading a little uh, piece, a documentary piece about uh, Jacob Wilson uh, on behalf of uh, Vice. And one of the little tidbits that he gave me was that uh, apparently the uh, one ley line of sanctity uh, in his sideboard, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but it was that uh, that card was not supposed to be in uh, in the sideboard, and it was like totally key in like <laughs> his uh, in one of his top eight matches against Monterey. He had had like the one of Leyline of Sanctity like in his opening hand, but that was supposed to be like another totally like another card, but he didn't have the other card, and it just was there. And then there in game three, top eight match in your opening hand, and you know moral of the story. Then preparation is not everything. It's about <laughs> it's about getting lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure. So magic is right. You know, a, a game of, uh, you know, it's a game. Of, you know, match. You mentioned you know having bad matchups. You know, like what if you played just like all like you know great matchups for you like the entire time you're a constructed portion and especially modern <clears throat> very swingy format where matchups matter matter a ton. Um, and clearly, why you guys hedged, you know, and a lot of people did made that same decision by playing Abzan where it's like there's very few really bad matchups. There's a couple ones, but just kind of hope. Well, maybe we won't play against you know that deck or. We have a decent sideboard plan for it or something, you know. Um, but from, you know, from as a kind of spectator of like big magic tournaments, it definitely does seem that there uh, there is a very kind of high reward, like high risk, you know, kind of thing that people being really bold with deck choices and stuff like that um, for, you know, maybe brewing up something new or really trying to aim to beat the deck that's going to be uh, going to be the best, uh, you know, best deck out there. But, yeah. that, you know, that requires a lot of... Um, you know, kind of time and preparation to give yourself the confidence. Exactly. That's exactly that. what I was going to say. It's like, I kind of, you know, I agree with what Richard was saying. It's like, you know, start earlier, create a better schedule, work on things to build up your confidence. And then, you know, when the deck comes out, like, you know, when those cards got banned and, and then there's crunch time, then like what Hugh says, you know, take some time off work and then really, you know, powerhouse those last couple of weeks. But going into those last couple of weeks, already have hit those hurdles. I feel like, you know, with the preparation that, that we were doing, we were just hitting those hurdles, you know, a day or we were hitting, we were hitting hurdle one about a day or, you know, three days before you guys were taken off for the tournament instead of being like super confident and, and being super risky and then just starting to just kind of go crazy with stuff because you've already tried all the basic stuff. You've already tried all the, the sort of obvious stuff at that point, you know? So I would like to see next time going into all this, we're, you know, we're hitting hurdle two, hurdle three, hurdle four, you know, weeks before crunch time. Yeah. One thing I remember, you know, kind of mentioning to you guys that I was a little concerned about kind of this, you know, same issue of, um, uh, not being too, you know, too bold as, you know, how Abe, you you would put it, but I was concerned that you guys had just, I remember saying something like you'd hit like level zero or level one, like with the, the Abzan list that um, that we had kind of tuned and, uh, and and put together. And I was a little concerned about exactly that, that there needed to be like another step to push, you know, push through that. Um, and uh, I know given that I haven't been there before, like I didn't know like, well, you should do steps, you know, B, C, and D since we finished step A. But what are some of the things that you think might be, might be good things to you know i think you know i think analytical stuff like you know you know specific there's a lot of uh kind of um a lot of fuzzy kind of stuff that's done with magic like well let's try this out i think that's going to be good um do you guys have any ideas so so like we pretty much didn't really have much we didn't do that much exploring right like um from when it started abe and he were set on set on apps and i was pretty much set on jessica which turned out to be all the deck that's how we played and i i think again it comes down to like resources we don't we don't have that many people we like we tested a few different decks but we just we just never got it to where we want it and in terms of like level zero level one and like that's another thing like we're supposed to other team pro team they update all their lists as they go along in testing we just we just don't have the resources to do something like that but so so what i'm suggesting is not just right i think everyone kind of acknowledges that that's kind of the, the point whereas and, and maybe you know maybe the the answer is just like you know more people you know more hours 
but I mean, maybe there is, you know, in this, you know, kind of vast array of kind of space to explore that is like a constructed format. Maybe there's a way to kind of parse through that stuff, right? Like, and, and so it's not even talking about magic, right? In a lot of different fields, there's lots of like very, you know, difficult, difficult questions, right? Say something like cryptography or something, right? Where like you're trying to break a, a code or a sequence of stuff. And on one hand, you can say like, well, the only way to solve that is by, you know, trying at every different little, you know, possibility, right? But like in fields like that, what people eventually figure out is like, well, you can't just go through and brute forcing and just try every permutation, right? There's just too many things to try out. But over time, in different fields what people figure out are ways to shortcut things and ways to figure things out. It's the same thing like how you get better at, you know, playing draft. It's not by literally playing every possible single card, but you start mm-hmm. figuring out ways to shortcut things. And I think that's one of the things, important things to think about is how, where can you create shortcuts? Where are the areas where you can reduce like this huge array of like different things into like smaller portions that you can, you know, can discover? Because certainly a way it issues to, to address it is kind of brute forcing it. But I don't know. I mean, that, that's, it's just, you know, what I'm throwing out there. I don't know what the solution is, that's right? If there is a known solution, then everyone would do it. But, you know, maybe there is, you know, something I think something else one there. thing that maybe we could have done is just started with, like, not started with decks, but just started with cards. Because there were, like, a couple cards that some of us were interested in. Like, Richard really knew that he wanted to play Tasker. You were pretty interested in, like, Monastery Mentor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we spent most of our time, and I think it was well spent, just, like, basically playing sets with junk. And, I mean, I had played all of the decks. All the decks that I faced with the Pro Tour, except for one, like, I had already played a 10-game set with. So that part was definitely good. But, like, if we, in terms of brewing, we, we could have devoted a little bit more time to just, like, taking a card and then starting from scratch and just being like, what's a good shelf for this card? Right, right. Um, another thing that I was kind of thinking about, too, because, um, yeah, before you guys left, I guess uh, you guys, you know, talked about uh, which comms and comms you take over rares. That was a suggestion that I made to Hugh, and that was via, like, you know, something I read, like, on Star City Games, and I'm sure you guys saw all that stuff um, as well. And that seemed like it was probably pretty helpful uh, heading, you know, driving out and talking talking specifically that. But it seems like there's, like, an area of, like, there can be a huge amount of, like, uh, kind of expounding on stuff and, like, trying, you know, like, of, uh, right? Because obviously, you know, playing Magic is a huge portion of, like, needing to figure out, a, like, a draft format. But, you know, do you guys have any ideas about, like, ways to, like, you know, discussions like that? It seems like it's really helpful. Do you have any other ideas for, like, ways that draft preparation could be, you know, improved besides just, you know, drafting a bunch? Well, drafting a bunch leads to, our, to for, like, leads to conclusions, right? So one thing we, we realized was that um, Abzan is always open in draft. So then we thought it would be always, it would be advantageous to us to just go black and green in the first pack of Favor Forge and just be hopeful that you know all the abs and guild cards will be there in, in the cons packs. And I think Hugh went with that strategy in the second draft. Maybe you can talk. Yeah, uh, talk about that. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> we drafted this format a lot, and uh, green is the worst color in Favor Forge because it pretty much only has. I actually think the two comments that people even think are good actually aren't that good. Um, one is the Whisper of the Wild, so one that makes a mana, or sometimes two mana if you have Ferocious, and then Hunt the Weak are considered to be the only good green commons. Um, <clears throat> I don't even like either of those cards. Um, but blue is, is definitely the best color, I think, in the format now, so I'm actually still pretty happy to draft the blue deck. But that still being said, because green is so weak, it ends up that Abzan... And often Saltai are extremely open. Like you see Abzan Guide going late. You see Saltai Soothsayer going late in pack two and three. You see um, other like Abzan Charm or Saltai Charm going late. So one strategy we talked about going to day two, especially for Abe, since Rich and I were 4-4 and Abe was still X2, was to do your best to try and hedge and be open to being able to move into likely Abzan or possibly Saltai. And luckily for me in my second draft, I was able to go uh, 2-1 with a very good Abzan deck. Losing only to Raphael Levy, the player with the most pro points of all time, and his three Gurmag Swiftwing deck, which is a card I did not expect to see someone play against me in draft. But he was also losing to Brutal Horde Chief, but 
um, Grimrock Swifting was ultimately the card that did me in. I think, I think one thing we could have done with our draft preparation, I mean, we all did a lot of drafts, which is great, but every single draft I did, I did it as if, like, I wanted to maximize my win percentage for that draft, but if I had been a little bit more forward-thinking, I think I could have, like, tried out some stuff that, like, probably won't work, but maybe it does. Like, I never just sat down and started forcing abs on just to see if that works, because, like, it's, it was crazy how much in all of our drafts, Abzan or Sultai, like the black-green clans, were just crazy open in packs two and three. But I didn't try just forcing it. And at the Pro Tour, like, I was thinking, like, what if I just force it? Well, I don't really know. I'm not going to try that out for the first time at the Pro Tour. Another important thing that I learned uh, just from watching pros, uh, which Lauren insisted that we do at, at all costs, um, a really interesting thing, it's something that, you never really think about it at a Grand Prix or, or at a PTQ. I, I, somewhat at a PTQ, but... So, for example, this is something that I saw Patrick Chapin and a few other pros doing. So, Patrick Chapin started the tournament 3-0. He 3-0'd his first draft. And then he 0-5'd Modern to miss the cut to day two. And, uh, you know, I would be pretty demoralized if that happened to me. I'm sure even he, a pro tour champion, was not happy with it. Most people would be. But, sure enough, uh, Richard pointed out to me, I think, or maybe it was Abe, that... Throughout the rest of the tournament, Patrick Chapin was running around, writing down decks that other players with good records or other known players were playing to scout for his team, which is not illegal. Um, I don't think it's really frowned upon. I think it's fine to do. But, you know, there he there he is supporting his team, doing everything he can to ensure that his teammates will have every bit of information they possibly can. And it's actually a very powerful uh, advantage to have. So that's definitely a thing. You know, in the future, if we go to a tournament, and Richard and I have scrubbed out, or uh, and Abe is still, you know, dominating. That would be a very valuable thing for Abe to have to to go around and and see what decks they have. So that's a very interesting thing that we don't really think about, but we should totally do at PTQs. By the way, I'm so proud. This is this is, I actually seen this done at the. I had this happen to me actually. I had someone's girlfriend just stand next to me while I build my oh, build yeah. my booster build my uh, draft deck, and she basically like. Wrote down every card in my deck and told our boyfriend <laughs> as we were playing. But yeah, I don't know how legal that is. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds yeah, a little that's, bit over that's the That's a line, little. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that does, but I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's no rule against it, right? So. Yeah, I but I mean, but not. It's not even just about what deck the person is playing. If you have an opponent, and you know that's doing really well, and say maybe like Abe played him in an earlier round and was like he has a tendency to keep playing this these cards or play this pattern mm-hmm. or play in this way. And he shares that with you, you know, then yeah. you go, then you, you're able to sort of anticipate that when you're up against that person. Yeah, I think that's fun. I think actually going around during deck construction, which Pack Chapin was doing, I, I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit morally unscrupulous. You mean draft like, when they were constructing their draft decks? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like, because you're like, have your deck laid out on a table. You're trying to figure out what the best build is. And I feel like while you're playing, of course, spectating, like, is allowed. But I don't know. I feel like when you're building it. Yeah, that to me does seem a little. Less, uh, it seems sketchier than. I don't think there's anything wrong with scouting what constructed decks people are playing. Yeah, that's totally. Yeah, but limited seems a little. So here's, well, yeah, here's especially a solution because for you those just... of you that don't know, the constructed decks are registered before the tournament begins, and players are not allowed to change any card in their deck throughout the entire weekend. So. Well, I think the I think the solution is you get a you get some little big hood. Here we go. And you put that around. <laughs> you come dressed up deck. as Jace. They do. Yeah. They do make yeah. those. For and then you get you get, you get put, put little put little lights All inside right. your big hood, and bam, there you there go. No one go. can see. No one can see your draft deck. I think Perfect. You guys will be like the most mysterious that. people. No, but the, you'll you'll get covered just because. Oh my God, what's he doing behind that masked screen? You know what? I actually, when I was in photo school, I, one of my peers would do that for every photo shoot. Nobody could see anything that he did. You couldn't see his lighting set up. You couldn't see anything on his set until the day of critique when you saw the final thing because he never wanted anybody... He didn't want to reveal how he made the photo because he thought the reveal would ruin the sort of experience of viewing the photo itself. So maybe we'll think about this in your next kits for next year. That's why I never watch draft <laughs> coverage. Just go straight to the day. For next season. Get you guys hooded. But, but hooded we actually clothes. did well, what you said before. We actually do that. Like so, me and Hugh were so first sitting off for the first match. I mean, first draft of the pro tour. Like I go to my table and I see Hugh ready there, and of course we're in the same pod. So and after the draft, you know, like we're sitting two seats away from each other, and I happen to be playing the player that Hugh passed cards to. So Hugh told me he, he said that oh, yeah. he passed. 
the guy an end hostilities, which is a key card. Like, this is a card that you need to play around, right? End hostility basically kills, destroys all creatures. So that tells me not to overextend. And I, I just kept that in mind the whole match. And of course, the guy crushes me. And after he tells me, <laughs> yeah, my deck is insane. I'm not even playing end hostilities. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So one of the things that I, th- I th- think in general about, uh, you know, kind of taking a step back from all this about kind of playing in a pro tour is that like, um, you guys have talked uh, a lot about between the last episode and this about how you play a lot of draft and stuff like that. And one of the things that I think is pretty wild that potentially at a pro tour is like you could start off like O2 in a draft and then like in a regular kind of store event or playing with friends and you're like in the O2 bracket, like maybe you're paired against someone who's like, I don't know, maybe not that good, or you're just like, well, I'll just drop from the event, you know. But also now at a pro tour, like you could be playing like a Hall of Fame player, like in O2, and it's like you're playing like someone who's really, really good at in O2, and it just seems it just seems like really weird because usually you're like you know O2, and it's like oh this draft was a disaster, but like you'll still you still need to like try to claw your way into trying to get one two, and like you could one two a draft and still like top eight a pro tour. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a big question I have is like in day two, did you guys feel like, you know, the decks were getting better? You know, because now people played them for a whole day. You're playing against better players. Like, did you feel like like the stress level was a little bit higher, that the, that the competition level was a little bit higher? Or did you just feel more like you were starting to get tired? Or, what, or maybe something else two. completely. I felt better day two because <laughs> I wasn't sick. Or I was sick, but... Uh, so keys to doing well yeah. day two. Is yeah, well, healthy. and that that right. was reflective right. of your standings too, right? Like your also the fact totally that I was four and four. I was just kind of like, all right, well, you know, if I can go in and I, I had I felt no pressure, you know, whereas Abe certainly would have had to felt more pressure than. Did you guys feel I... a lot of pressure heading into round one of the event? No, I actually felt really calm. I was pressured. Yeah. One of the events. Lauren was going to be mean to us. <laughs> so as I, I worked all that pressure out in practice so you guys could feel nice and calm going into the event that makes me feel like my job was well done yeah well, i was pretty sure that i wouldn't survive the day i think i had appendicitis yeah. so, <laughs> so i was like all right i failed abe about it. <clears throat> all right so one thing i want to talk about though is uh there's a question here what was your favorite moment of the weekend and uh i think the three of us definitely bonded and we i think overall we would have to say you know just being there with with friends was great because yeah, I, it would have been way worse if you're just there alone, like every every time in between rounds and just having no one else to cheer for, basically. Um, but the favorite moment of the weekend was actually not magic related. Um, it happened when <laughs> when we were uh, it was a la- our last night there, right? Yeah, it was our la- we were checking out and we were like leaving a room and Abe was just totally burnt out, totally out of it, and I had this bag of I had bought this bag of caramel popcorn this big bag of caramel popcorn from the day before and had left it outside of the room on our uh, room service cart and hadn't gotten picked up so Abe decided to just pick it up again hours later after been sitting in the hall and start eating it sure why not and so as we're walking we're leaving uh somehow we get into the elevator and Abe drops the bag of popcorn it spills no, I didn't drop it it just ripped I don't know how it just, it just <laughs> oh, ripped. whatever so Abe <laughs> rips the bag of popcorn somehow and Popcorn spills all over the elevator, and he like stumbles over himself, and then hits. What button did you bump into? I hit like the emergency. Some alarm started. Some alarm went started to go off in the elevator. And then Richard. And then Richard's like, "Oh my gosh!" And like reaches out to turn it off, but presses the other alarm button, so not like two alarm buttons that are going off, and it's covered with popcorn. And I'm just there like, "Oh my god!" Like, so we just leave the elevator. We get another one down. Well, this one's still going berserk. Nothing ever came of it, and we get down to the lobby to go like check out, and. Abe has somehow not found a garbage can and he's like cradling all this loose yeah. popcorn in two And like arms. this entire time I've just been like it was like a full bag of popcorn and I've been like yeah. trailing it behind me and eating it. was like, like Hansel and Gretel like there was a trail of popcorn. Of and like I couldn't do anything because like if I moved my arms away from my side I would just drop like a ton of popcorn. And there's no garbage cans anywhere and so Abe is just like slowly eating it just keeps saying I have to find a garbage can I have to find a garbage can and, like eating popcorn. and by the time we're done checking out he's basically eating all of the popcorn that was yeah was and I got upset I was like I could finally get rid of this and it was like mm-hmm. a few pieces because it had all been like consumed or like strewn throughout the hotel and Richard you didn't think to get a picture of this <laughs> sounds like a perfect idea I mean to a... be fair Richard and I didn't help Abe at all <laughs> I mean Richard made the situation literally worse so Cool. The 20-sided stories, the sitcom is uh, <laughs> coming up. All right. Abe Stanza. 
Well, that's awesome. I think we're about out of time at this point. So um, thank you all for tuning into another episode of 20-Sided Stories. Um, where can we find you all? I know uh, Abe has started a Twitter account since oh, yeah. the last episode. Uh, well, I, I mentioned on the last episode, too. It's uh, yeah, Abe the Babe 97. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many followers do you have now? Oh, uh, too many to count. I don't uh. know. <laughs> He's not even kidding. <laughs> I think I was your third follower, so. And that was like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So we'll see. I don't know. I haven't actually checked. My my Twitter account is uh, Kramer Control. It's actually a name that was given to me by Luis. Oh, really? Yeah, you dubbed that Mm. nickname. Yeah. Okay, you're being facetious. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But years ago, like this was years ago. A long time ago. um, You want to tell uh, that story, Luis? Well, I don't think we have time for that one. It's not not nearly as good as the popcorn story. One more thing that I should say real quick is the three of us really want to thank Lauren and Luis for everything they did. Not only providing, you know, money and t- endless amount of time, uh, just helping us prepare, but just overall support. And it was really great having you guys. So thank you for everything. We want all the listeners to know that they put their hearts into this for us. So. I-, I want you guys all to know I am super, super proud of you all. Even though I'm, it's my job to be the hard ass. <clears throat> I want yeah, you guys cop, all to cop. know <laughs> that it really, you guys really did a great job, and I'm really, really proud of all of you. Yeah, we're super stoked. Well, we can't wait for the next one. Going pro. Also, you can find us at 20-Sided Store. Uh, That's 20-Sided Store on Twitter and 20 spelled out Sided Store on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us at 20SidedStore.com for all events and uh, upcoming tournaments. And you can listen to this episode or other episodes on 20-Sided Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. For 20-Sided Stories, this is your host, Luis Chato, and also... Co-host Lauren Belanco with our great 20-Sided team here, Abe Lusk, Richard Tan, and Hugh Kramer. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of 20-Sided Radio. For more 20-Sided Radio, please subscribe to us on iTunes. This podcast is a production of Mad Scientist Audio and Studio Belanco with music by Sonia Manalili. From all of us at 20-Sided Radio, thanks for listening. Wait, I'm not Johnny? <laughs> You're lucky I didn't get it wrong. You stuttered, you stuttered, I felt it. <laughs> Well, I almost said Richard Ruin. <laughs> in my DM. <laughs> Can't win. Can't win. Richard.